Welcome to the Lost Tapes of History podcast. You're about to eavesdrop on the first 10 minutes of a private conversation between a Tudor personality and, frankly, someone just trying to do their job. The date is May 1532. Moore has just resigned as King Henry VIII's Lord Chancellor. He considers an alternative career choice. Working on your material? Eh? Your material. Still working on it. Oh, <laughs> yes. Last minute changes, you know. Hmm. Done this before? Yeah, a uh, couple of times. You? No, no, not at all. No. Oh, right. First time. Nervous? No, not really. Oh. I've been told I have an excellent sense of humour, though. Very quick. Friends, were they? And colleagues. Why? Yeah, they all say that. It doesn't mean you'll make it in comedy. But I can make even the most solemn person burst into laughter. Uh-huh. So, what's your comedic style, then? Deadpan. I make a funny remark with a serious face. People don't know whether I speak in earnest or in jest. Well, a lot of comedians do that and are successful. Look at Jack D. I will. Is he here? Uh, uh, n- no. So, why are you here? I'm looking for a career change. I've refused the oath of allegiance to the king. So? If I don't get charged with treason, I'll probably need to get another job. And you think comedy might be it? Well, they said I was good at it, like I said. What's your background? I went to Oxford. Oh, good start. A lot of comedy performers went there. Atkinson, Palin. I was a scholarship boy. Didn't really belong, but I was involved in the world of oratory and public debate. Is that good? I wrote and performed in short comedies or comic sketches. Ah, that's how most performers got into comedy. Good start. Well, we wrote them because they were supposed to be a teaching aid. Teaching aid? We had to write plays to show our grammar and rhetorical abilities. Were you good at it? I was a good writer and a fair actor. Sounds good so far. Actually, it stood me in good stead when I started working. How's that? I used my skill in oration to become a lawyer and a public administrator. You're a lawyer? You have to be slightly dramatic in a courtroom. Play to the audience, you know? I can see that. And then I was appointed an under-sheriff. Did it for eight years. I'm guessing that's a legal job. Had to deal with every kind of crime and offence you can think of, in amongst the low life. Did it give you good material? I wrote of the taverns, bathhouses, public toilets, barbershops, pimps, whores, porters and carters, because they were there in front of me. What the hell kind of jokes were you writing? Just some short Latin poems. I was being ironic and witty. A bit sarcastic, possibly. Ah, so it's the poetry of the streets. A bit like uh, Geoffrey Chaucer. The Canterbury Tales? Oh, that's a compliment, certainly. He's the poet I most admire. Can you give me an example? One poem was addressed to a girl riding a horse. OK. It says, Who denies that you can take a man when your legs can get around even that pack horse? Um. 
There is a verse about a fart and another about the merits of eating excrement. I have lots of Latin terms for excrement. Yes, I can see why you and Chaucer have so much in common. Odd sense of humour. Do you want to hear a line from one of my favourite plays? It has me in tears of laughter. Don't build it up. I shall beat her and thwack her. I trow that she shall be beshite the house for very woe. <laughs> uh, I don't get it. Uh, and it's uh, about domestic abuse. Oh, my brother-in-law wrote a book called The Twelve Merry Jests of Widow Edith. I contributed heavily. Very funny book. More uh, toilet humour. It's the story of a bawdy old woman called Edith, who pretends to be a wealthy widow. That's a yes. She tries to beguile one young man with tales of her wealth. And? She embraces him, sits on his lap, and lets out a great fart. Um. Her duplicity is discovered, and as revenge, the servants secretly feed her something that gives her terrible diarrhoea. Look... I'm not saying there isn't a market for that type of humour. But it's going to divide an audience. If it isn't made up of eight-year-old boys. I'm very good at insults. What about that? I could just insult people. Let me hear some first. Batmanson is an ignorant and unknown little monk with a foul tongue. I'm sure that's true, but the audience don't know who Batmanson is. Pick someone we've heard of. Martin Luther. He's an ape, an arse, a drunkard, a lousy little friar, a piece of scurf, a pestilential buffoon, a dishonest liar. You don't like him, I take it. He celebrates mass on the toilet. Um, Right, well, that's just a lawsuit waiting to happen. Someone will call the police. Should I steer clear of insults then? I would. I did write a book. I could use some of that content. What was that about? Although I'm, uh, I'm hesitant to ask. It's called Utopia. It's ironic. It's about society. What's it about? A Portuguese traveller tells the Utopians who he has lived along for more than five years and wants to bring their ideas back to his world. Right. OK. It's an island the same size as England and has the same number of counties and cities and is the same distance from the equator. I think I see where this is going. The capital looks a lot like London, and has a river running through with a stone bridge. So it's England and London then. But redrawn by a visionary imagination, a pristine city in which there is no greed or pride or disorder. God, I love London. All vices have been banished. I see. And where does everyone live? The houses and gardens are exchanged between the citizens every ten years. And work. Everyone learns the craft to which they are most suited, and they all wear the same clothes of undyed wool, with distinctions only for gender or marital status. Well, already I can see the women of Utopia kicking off. What's in it for them, exactly? Six hours every day are devoted to work, while the rest of the time is spent in learning or recreation. Oh, I'd be happy working a six-hour day. Meals are eaten in communal dining halls, taking free food from the common stock of a central market. <laughs> Still won't be a gluten-free option. They do not value gold or silver, but use them to manufacture fetters and chamber pots. 
fetters. So uh, some people are chained. They have a population of slaves made up of criminals or prisoners of war. Oh, hang on. They are treated with paternal rather than tyrannical severity. This sounds a lot like communism to me. And slaves are slaves, even if they're wearing golden handcuffs. It is one of the most elaborate and successful exercises in satire ever to have been composed. They're right. I can't tell when you're joking. I use the fable technique to mock the abuses and follies that I see around me. Oh, I see. And it allowed me to say that all lawyers are useless, which of course they are. Anonymous, is it? Did you know, I have managed to introduce some new words into written English. Like? Fact, taunt, shuffle, anticipate, paradox, pretext, obstruction, monosyllable. Hmm, all useful. Possibly not in the same sentence. And the phrases, not to see the wood for the trees, and to make the best of something. Look, I'm not going to argue about your inventiveness. It would be hard to. I just think you'd be better off telling anecdotes, little funny stories. I've got one about my fool, Henry Pattinson. We're in Bruges. Oh, God. Pattinson was a man of special wit and unlike the common sort. Some of the citizens, no doubt children and apprentices, began to throw stones at him. Right. Pattinson gathered up the stones and stood upon a bench, angrily proclaiming that everyone should leave the scene except those that hurled the stones at him. Then he said he would fire back at them. Yes. Unfortunately, he had spoken in English and no one understood what he meant. So the people of Bruges merely laughed at him and began to stone him again. Okay. He threw some back in retaliation and broke the head of an apparently innocent bystander. Sheesh. Pattinson went up to the man and asked him to bear his injuries bravely because he'd been given a fair warning. That's it? Yes. It's not a classic anecdote, is it? Hmm. When my daughter-in-law, Anne, asked for a pearl necklace, I presented her with a box and said, I've not forgotten. And the punchline? Inside there were no pearls, only a string of garden peas. I was sitting meditating with my dog on the roof of my gatehouse when a madman came up behind me and tried to hurl me to the ground. Had he seen your stand-up routine? We struggled and I suddenly cried out, Let us throw the dog down and see what sport that will be. Dog lovers will hate this. The man stopped and threw the dog saying, This is fine sport. I said, Let us fetch him up and try it again. And the RSPCA. Whereupon the lunatic hurried down the stairs to pick up the animal, so I unfastened the door and cried for help. Do you really want my feedback? Someone lost a purse and set up a sign in St Paul saying, whoever has found a purse, etc. I saw the notice and put my own name beneath it. Of course you did. So the man hurried to my chamber and I solemnly took down the details of his name and age. With you so far? My friend, I said, I'm sorry for your loss. For I do not have your purse and I do not know where it is. He said, why then, if it may please you, did you write your name? It's a fair question. I said, so I may know you again another time. For if you cannot keep your own purse, 
You shall not keep mine. I gave the man 40 shillings and dismissed him. That was an expensive anecdote. And uh, I'm not sure it pays off. I once heard a judge complaining of the ease in which pockets could be picked in London. So I arranged for his purse to get nicked. And the police are called once again. One of my lawyers, Mr Tubb, asked me to sign a subpoena. He left court and didn't realise I'd written a tale of a tub on it instead. Goodness, is, uh, is that the time? I heard some foreign ambassadors praising their own language and condemning English as the worst. Oh dear. I challenged them to utter a sentence in their own language, which I perfectly imitated. Look. I bet them all they couldn't repeat the same sentence I was about to say. Which was? Thwaites thwacked him with a thwittle. All right, that's raised a smile. But it took a while. I'm also not sure if it's xenophobic. Perhaps I should stick to anecdotes about my wife. Not if you want to stay married. When asked why I chose short women, I said of the two evils, you should choose the less. And now you've lost all the women in the audience. If you have a wife, you will never be free of trouble. It's coming across as a bit 1970s. A bit sexist. A little bit Bernard Manning, frankly. Don't talk about your mother-in-law, either. I'd hate you to think that I was sexist. I consider the education of women essential. I never said that. They are not a jot less intelligent or scholarly than men, and there is no reason why they should not acquire learning the same way. Yes, sure, but can you make a good routine out of it? I want my daughter to pursue her studies in philosophy and classical literature. Good for her. I think she should concentrate her attention on medical learning too. Look, I'm going on in a minute. This has all been very nice. Pleasure. But honestly, I think you're better off sticking with the day job. That's what my wife Alice said. Your wife is called Alice? Dame Alice. Isn't that the name of the wife of Bath in Chaucer's Tales? Yes. The one with the uh, strong sexual appetite. Why do you think I have a deadpan face? My face hurts from smiling so much. Next time, it's Anne Boleyn and the political advisor. I mean, I'd advise her to keep her mouth shut. The Lost Texts of History podcast is a Since 79 production. If you've enjoyed it, please leave us a review and subscribe to get more episodes. To fact-check what you've heard on this person, visit our website, losttakesofhistory.co.uk. You can also follow us on Twitter at Since79P and use the hashtag Lost Takes of History. 